Let me give you a few places to turn in preparation for the message this morning, and we'll start as far to the right as we possibly can, I guess. First Peter, if you could find something uh, to put there. I always tell you guys this, but if you're one of those really quick Bible turners, you know, I guess you can bypass this part. But um, Here lately I've been having you go to a number of different places, so maybe it saves some time. After you get 1 Peter, uh, go slow to the left. You'll run across Hebrews chapter 12, drop something there, and then off to Matthew 24. So 1 Peter, Hebrews chapter 12, Matthew 24. And that's not all the places I think we'll go this morning, but uh, surely you can find Romans quickly, and I do think I have a Psalms to turn to, so... What we're doing this morning as you continue turning is um, the state of the church address. I think I started this a couple of years ago, uh, and I've always wanted to do that. It took me a while to get going. Uh, but again, uh, Sarah's good to remind me it's time for that. Usually I do it toward the end of the year as we look forward to the new year. Uh, but with everything going on this year, uh, it's been pushed back a week, week after week. And so finally, I wasn't willing to give it up, so we landed here. But I do want to talk about a couple of things. Number one, the faithfulness of God, and then secondly, our faithfulness going forward. Last time, or last year when we talked about this, I spent the majority of my time talking about the faithfulness of the Lord that we had experienced over the past year. And I went back and looked at last year's uh, sermon and, and everything that I talked about, and I, I still confess the same thing. The Lord is so uniquely faithful to us. Uh, I'm just overwhelmed at how good He is to this body in particular. We had gone through Psalms 92, and I'm not, I don't ask you to turn there, but I do want to remind you of a couple of verses in Psalms 92. We spent a lot of time the last time we did this in Psalm 92, but it's a song for the Sabbath day. And so it was a song that was sung uh, by the people of God on that particular special day. But it begins in this way. It says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Powerful psalm. Very good for you to spend any time, if you have time over the next few weeks, reflecting on that as you reflect on the faithfulness of God to your family last year. And I really encourage you parents to do that. In fact, I would encourage you to make notes when you reflect on all that God has done in this past year and then communicate that to your children so that they can see how the hand of God has worked in your family's life. That would be a wonderful time for you to expend before you can get the kids in bed one evening. But let's talk about this past year as a church. And the Lord has been faithful to call those to faith. And we've seen a number of baptisms. Brooklyn Robertson was first back in May, and then Kim and Briar, uh, we saw their baptism this past year. Brent, I still remember his testimony of faith, never forget that. And then Carson and Cooper, we watched those two boys get baptized, and I we're just excited about what the Lord's doing, and, and just looking forward as these kids get of age and begin to understand more of the gospel, and I've had more than one conversations with parents over the past just few weeks about how the Lord's working in their kid's life. And so we just need to continue to pray for that. You guys have slowed down in the baby department. Uh, we only had two to speak of this past year. 
uh, Zachary Fault and little Andrew Martin. Uh, we watched their birth. And as I read these things, if I forget somebody, please feel free to correct me and I'll put it in my notes. I'm certainly not trying to do that. Uh, but we rejoice over that. And I won't pray for the Hancocks to have any more kids. Uh, but I do pray, Chris is, yeah, amen. Um, I do pray that the Lord will continue. To, maybe not Cody and Lexi. Maybe we're done. I don't know. Uh, they're grinning. But uh, we do rejoice at the birth of children within this body. Uh, turning toward hardships, uh, you guys have spent a lot of time in the hospital this year. Uh, but as I thought about that, how faithful the Lord has been to see you guys through some difficult things. Ted, Ted spent several days over in the hospital this past year, and I think Miss Ray did too for a season, didn't she? So both of you guys have spent time. Uh, the faults, Wallace tried to set the record. In fact, Wallace may have very well set the record this year uh, for time spent in the hospital. Uh, but it wasn't just her. They had RSV and dengue fever, and so they spent quite a bit of time overseas. Uh, Lexi set the record for almost scaring her pastor to death. Uh, that was this past year, but we just praised God. I mean, we just praised God. And then Bennett tried to follow his mom in scaring everybody to death. And so he's here this morning with a grin on his face. God's been good to us. Amen. The Hancocks probably set the surgery for most in the family, maybe. Uh, Y'all have had a lot of surgeries and time spent in doctor's office. Uh, Jared, I guess, tied for most serious uh, with brain surgery. Um, Sandra and Eddie have obviously, Brother Eddie has suffered the entire year with his help. And then a number of you have lost close family members. Uh, Miss Burma's dear brother, Elisa's dad, Sarah's granddad. Uh, Miss C lost her sister. Matt lost his grandmother. And Tim Allen lost his brother. Tommy lost his sister. And again, if I've forgotten one, I do apologize. Giving, once again, you guys took advantage of the opportunities and were found very faithful in your giving. We're always not able to keep up with your giving because a lot of times, you know, I'll drop it on a Wednesday night right in the middle of a Bible study and you guys will step up and be faithful. So as far as what we did not keep up with, but yet kept up with a little bit, you guys gave over $1,000 to Chico for Mexico's uh, missions there. The faults over $2,000. And then there were other examples. I think we helped a, a lady that Melissa came across with her job and paid for rent and those sort of things so she and her kids could have a place to stay. And that's not to mention a whole slew of other things that I just at the last minute hit you guys with. The planned things, though, were, were very good. Um, over $800 was given for a church being built, again, with Jody and Chico in Mexico. The Titus Committee continued to just outpace everything. They spent over $4,000 in just helping people within the community. Again, we gave the cooperative program. Body ministry was up almost $2,000. And then the community ministry as well was $4,600, almost $4,700. In other words, you guys gave away that just we kept up with over $15,000 this year. And when you think about our budget, uh, I'm very thankful for that, that you guys are are very generous in your giving. And I pray that that only continues and grows. This is something new I did reflect on this year is where we had been in the Word of God. I think this March will mark our second year in the book of Romans. I plan to finish sometime that month, but we spent the entire year in Romans. 
We started out in five, still on the gospel, but when we went to Romans 12 back in September and we got to those things that we're responsible to do, we slowed way down. And your guys' hearts have just continued with tears in your eyes and brokenness in your heart have responded to Romans 12, and I'm so thankful for that. And as the Lord wills, we'll be back in Romans next week. But we took a detour this, this past year, if you remember. We spent about six or eight weeks on the subject of worship. And that changed a lot of what we do outwardly, but I pray that it's changing you inwardly. As Jeremy, I so much appreciate where he went this morning. So good. But I pray that that's reshaping your heart toward the Lord with your life of just repentance and trust in the substitutionary sacrifice in Christ that was given for us. That was the goal. It was never to look different or be different. Not from the outward perspective, but from the inward perspective. And I pray that we would continue to have worship shape who we are as the people of God. And again, I said we should wind up Romans in just a few, few weeks, maybe a couple of months, but then I think we'll turn toward 1 Corinthians and we'll spend a great deal of time there. A lot of new faces since the last time I walked through 1 Corinthians, so we'll start that journey again. But again, I, I didn't want to really key on his faithfulness. I wanted to turn toward the great need of our faithfulness toward him. Hopefully you picked up on the passage that Cody read this morning. And I do want you to run back to Matthew 24 if you're, if you're not still there. He mentioned that last phrase, and then the end will come. And of course, that's where my mind and heart was as I began to think about the state of the church address. You begin to think, surely the Lord is coming soon. And that seems to grow with every year that passes. Just the heart and mind that Certainly we're almost there. Certainly we shall see him in the skies very soon. And so I want us to be a people when he returns that is found very faithful. And so that's where I wanted to spend our time this morning, at least the majority of it. Now, I'll confess 24 is difficult because the question at hand is the question of time. And anytime the Lord begins to deal with a time frame, everyone likes to run to their particular things that they believe in and pull out their rulers and their boxes and make everything fit how they think it's supposed to go. If you'll notice verse 3, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 3, As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when, you see, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so it's a difficult question. In fact, it's a question that the entire Old Testament peoples missed when their Messiah came. They missed the timeline. And the reason they missed the timeline is because of their own thinking. They didn't really exegete the scriptures. They read into the scriptures what they wanted to see take place. And that affected the outcome of their system of belief. And so we do the same thing. And I cannot tell you that I've left all of my leanings and all of my thinking off on the side as I come to this text. It's just simply not possible for me to do that. I bring my mindset into this as I read this, and it has a tendency to shift things around. For instance, there's a lot of people that are of the opinion that 24 has nothing to do with us. We'll already be raptured. And therefore, much of what you find in 24 simply does not apply. 
I'm not of that mindset. I do think there are some things that do not apply to us. But I do notice a couple of things here that, well, first of all, not just a couple of things. I got a lot of questions when I read Matthew 24, to be honest with you. But if you'll notice in verse 9, it speaks of a tribulation that's brought about by the world. It says, then they will deliver you to tribulation. You see that? In other words, it's the world's persecution of the believers. But if you'll notice in verse 21, it may very well be reflecting of a different tribulation. It says in verse 21, For then there will be a great tribulation, and that is when the wrath of God is poured out on this place. And that I desperately and greatly hope. We are not here for that. And I do believe that, that the Lord will return and rescue us from the wrath that is to come. That still leaves a lot of things in place for us to be concerned about. Namely, what Cody read this morning. If you'll notice with me back in verse 10, at that time when the persecution begins to rise toward the people of God, at that time, he begins to use the word many a lot. Watch what he says here. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Again, it's the same word in the Greek, many, but it's translated here, most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And so basically you've got three phrases here, many false prophets or false teaching, much lawlessness, and then much coldness. So even to those guys who would say, hey, none of that even applies to us, I would say, hey, that's always applied to us. I can take you back into the Old Testament and show you how those who professed to have a relationship with God in covenant Israel had exactly the same problems. And I can also take you to the New Testament, the epistles where Paul was teaching the church, be careful of these same three things. So even if I'm off base that 24 applies to us, I can take you anywhere in the text to show you these same things. These three things have always been problems for us, have always been concerns for us. And so I want to key on that this morning, but I want to kind of walk through it backwards. And so let's start with verse 13 and talk about this idea of endurance, a great need for endurance. Of course, you know what he's talking about. He's talking about a steadfastness. He's talking about a faithfulness in your devotion to Christ. He's talking about we endure in following hard after the Lord Jesus. And of course, you'll notice the reward there, right? There is great hope for those who endure. Again, notice verse 13. But the one who endures to the end, he will be what? He will be saved. And I would submit to you that that simple statement probably flies in the face of a lot of Baptists, even on this mountain. They would be totally uncomfortable with that. They would pin your salvation to something that you've done rather than the perseverance and the endurance in your own life. So there's great hope, hope you can't even measure, unthinkable, glorious hope for everyone who remains in Christ, who endures, who perseveres in the faith, who follows after Jesus no matter what comes. But on the other hand, there is absolutely nothing but hopelessness for the one who does not endure. In fact, you can find that all over the Bible as well. Our Lord talked about it a lot. 
In fact, he would address it in his parables often. And there's a number of parables I could pause at, but I want to go a great distance. So I'll just mention them briefly. There's the parable of the wicked servant. Master left him in charge. He was wicked. He was lazy. And he began to beat the other servants. And then all of a sudden, like almost all the parables, the master returns unexpectedly and finds him in this great unfaithfulness and he does not endure. There's the parable of the ten virgins where five of those ladies were not prepared. They were found unfaithful. Their lamps could not be kept burning. And when they went to go and get the oil and they came back, the groom had already come. The door was already locked. And they were found unprepared and unfaithful for what had come. Probably the clearest, though, is the parable that the Lord spoke about using the four souls. If you remember, there was the road, the seed that fell by the roadside. There was rocky soil. There was thorny soil. And then there was finally the good soil. And I think of those four, the rocky soil is the one that points to this idea of perseverance or endurance. Because when the Lord explains that in Matthew 13, this is what he says in verse 20. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root. And firm is actually in the italics. He has no root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So here we have an individual who heard the gospel so as to speak, the word of God, responded by receiving with great joy. But the very moment that tension comes or persecution comes or the need for persevering, he just backs up and falls away and says, I don't want any part of that and, and walks away and he falls away, the text says. Now, let me make a side note. Let me chase a rabbit for just a second because I can't leave it alone. Persecution arose because of the word. And that's where our persecution will come likewise, because we will remain. If the spirit of God lives within us, we will remain faithful to the word of God. And it's that word that the world hates. And so if you're going to stand up and be faithful for the truths and the principles that you find in Scripture, you're, you're going to be deemed an idiot. A narrow-minded, bigoted, racist idiot. But if you remain steadfast, the Lord says you persevere and endure by holding fast to Him through holding fast to His Word. You suffer for it, but in the end, you make it. That particular person did not because he just wanted the benefits. He wanted to go to heaven. But he wanted nothing to do with being faithful to the Lord and enduring in what God had said. I was asking Abby this morning which gospel talks more about spurious faith. And what I mean by spurious faith is not genuine faith. Matthew probably has the most parables by the Lord but it seems as though John's gospel is almost devoted. It's a main thread that's pulled throughout the entire gospel, trying to give us a picture of what is not faith. Looks like faith, but it's not genuine faith at all. And if I had to pick a chapter in John, I would probably go with John chapter 6. 
Because it's there that Jesus begins to speak a very difficult word, a hard word, that everyone following him really struggled with. It starts in John 6, 53, where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Now the Lord intentionally and purposefully communicated it that way. As preachers are taught today to not be so edgy, not communicate things so hard, so confrontational, the Lord picked the most confrontational way to go about communicating that. In fact, this was their response. Therefore, many of his followers, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to this? That was their response to that. To which is followed up six verses later by this statement. John writes, as a result of this... Many of his followers withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Now we're done. That's weird. I'm out. I can't do that. And he was literally left with the twelve. And one of them was the devil. So you can see that there is a great need for us to persevere. There is a great need for us to endure. And that's why the Lord communicates it that way in Matthew 24. If you're genuinely born again, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will endure by the grace of God and by the power of God. Now, this is not just New Testament stuff. This is Old Testament stuff, too. So keep a finger in Matthew. But if you will, run with me to Psalm 62. Let me begin reading in verse 1, Psalm 62. I want to read verses 1 through 8. Now, if you're looking for the word persevere or endure, you'll not find it. But what you do find in the psalmist is the word wait often. Let me see if you can see what I'm talking about. Notice verse 1, my soul waits in silence for God. Notice the next word, only. From Him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him? All of you, notice the persecution beginning to rise. Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence, they have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. Notice the false teaching that we're about to get to in a minute. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. But notice the faithful man. My soul wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. O God, my salvation and my glory rest the rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him, now He calls to the people. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. In other words, it's a call for perseverance. It's a call for endurance. And it's in the context of suffering or persecution. There are those who have risen against the people of God. They are thrusting them down. 
They are saying kind things to their face and breaking them down and cursing them behind their back. And they are well aware of what's going on. But the psalmist is encouraging us, don't be disturbed by that. In fact, don't even speak about that. Just sit in silence. And that silence will communicate to God that you're comfortable just in His refuge. Like I'm at rest. I'm good. I know what the world's doing to me. But I'm, I'm just like an infant that's been comforted by its mother. I'm fine. Because I have found my refuge in God and it's in Him that I will wait. There's a lot of Psalms, y'all realize. I mean, there's a, dozens and dozens that I could take you to. But you head back if you want to the New Testament and I'll quote a few other things to you. In fact, just run to Hebrews 10 and I'll be there in just a second. It wasn't just the psalmist in the Old Testament. The prophets often called people to not only repentance and faith, but enduring or persevering in the faith. And I could quote you several different passages from Jeremiah. Lord willing, we'll be in Jeremiah tonight. And I'll just save those for that time. But let me remind you of, of one that we were very familiar with in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Again, with the word wait, it says, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Again, you see the reward for faithfulness. Because you've waited upon the Lord. And you find strength in Him. You find renewal in Him. You find perseverance, steadfastness, faithfulness in Him because you have waited upon the Lord. There are entire books. Well, there is an entire letter or book in the New Testament that's completely devoted to the idea of perseverance and endurance. I hope that you're in Hebrews, but I want you to notice chapter 10. And I want you to look at verse 35. I also want you to notice the word therefore because he's summing up a great many things he's already said. But in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35, the writer there says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. The whole book's about that. And we've been through that before, but the whole book's a call to perseverance and a call to endurance because the people are being tempted to fall away. Now, I don't know if you caught that when Tyler spoke to us last week, but he referenced a young man who had made a profession of faith, but because of the persecution that he was enduring and because of the own sin in his life, he had fallen away. And when you think about their culture, I think Tyler said 98% or almost 99% were, were Buddhist. Hopefully you can understand the great pressure that you would be under if you professed faith in Christ. Because your whole family would shun you and more than likely turn against you. If you had a job and you went to work and they knew that you'd professed faith in Christ and you'd been baptized publicly and then you went to work and they're all Buddhists, you can well imagine how that would go for you. And when you walked around in a small community like we live in and everybody's Buddhist, including all your neighbors, 
yet all your stuff has been taken down and carried out in the trash in regard to that false religion. And yet if they come into your home, they'll notice a Bible on the table. And they'll notice the light on at night when you're praying to the Lord and reading His Word. And you would be absolutely diminished and ridiculed publicly. You can see the pressure that you would be under to endure and remain faithful. You and I don't have to face that. We know nothing of that. It's popular to be where you're at right now. You can go to work in the morning and they can ask you what you did yesterday and you can say it without skipping a beat. And they're not going to say anything. In fact, they'll probably go, yeah, I probably should have too. That will be their response. In fact, many of your neighbors would probably hug you and congratulate you with your profession of faith, even though they don't even go to church. You see, we know so little of that. But it's a reality to have your faith tested for, your, for its genuineness in order to prove that you've actually been born of God and born of the Spirit and not born of the manipulation and emotionalism of man. And really, the real way to know the difference is whether or not you persevere and endure in the faith. You persevere and endure in the Word of God and grow in Christ's likeness. Now again, don't, don't misunderstand me. I know many people will. He's adding works to salvation. I'm doing nothing of the sort. But if you've been born of the Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells within you, He is going to begin to shape you into the image and the glory of the Son of God. That's His job. It's not some Sunday morning event or some Sunday morning feeling that He's responsible for. It's a change that happens day in and day out. You're the resistance, but He's the power, and He's always moving us forward, transforming us into the image in which we were created. That's the evidence. And that will happen if you've been born again until the day that you draw your last breath. Now, as those who hold to the doctrines of grace, we get to turn to so many passages that teach us that it's actually the triune God who works perseverance and endurance into our very life. We have this tremendous comfort. I told you you could find Romans 15 real quick. So run with me to Romans 15 and I want you to see this verse. I want you to notice verse 5. We haven't gotten there yet, but I already whet your appetite with it. We should be there in a couple of weeks. Romans 15 Notice with me verse 5. Now, may the God, as Paul turns to prayer, may the God who gives what? Perseverance. How about that? You mean God does that for us? It's not hung on me? No, it's actually not. It's the work of God in your life. Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement... And then he goes on to the context of Romans 15, grant you to be of the same mind with one another. How about that? The triune Godhead's at work to grow you in perseverance and endurance. And I told you there's a whole bunch of passages. Philippians 1 is one of my favorite. Paul writes this to the church there. I am confident, Paul says, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. 
How about going to sleep on that one? Because if you ever find yourself at the end of a day and you've just been ravaged by sin, you lost the battle, you find yourself wounded and bleeding on the battlefield of your own sin, and you finally crawl back in bed, and the Spirit of God reminds you of this wonderful truth. Man, I'm confident that he, he who began a good work in you will complete it. And so in the morning, I'll get up, I'll wash the blood off, I'll pick up my sword, and I'll go running right back out on that battlefield because I know how this thing ends up. Right? The grace of God and the power of God. Go with me to, you're in Romans. Run with me to Romans 8. I'll show you even more. Again, there's dozens. I had to really limit myself. Romans 8, look at verse 26. Notice the Spirit of God here. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we didn't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, it's the Spirit of God at work and the child of God pressing you and pushing you and training you toward the will of God, causing that perseverance and endurance. But it's not just him. Look down in verse 34. Who is the one who condemns you? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. The Trinity. Oh, my heart, the Trinity is at work within you to bring about perseverance and endurance in your very life, right? So here's the question. If that's his job, do I have a job? I mean, come on. We're going to rest on sovereignty or responsibility. What would be my answer to that? Both. You rest on both. And you know who, I, I say who really got this. Obviously, all the Bible writers got this. But let me tell you who really communicated this well. Go with me to 1 Peter. I had you turn there. I love this because so many people struggle with uh, responsibility and sovereignty and those sort of things. I'd have a mind that Peter would, would laugh at us. Let me start in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven, notice, for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You're protected by the power of God. Your reward in heaven is just being kept. It's being reserved for you, awaiting for you in glory. Now, we'll give you the context. Who in the world would Peter communicate this to? People who are suffering, trying to endure. Because notice the very next verse, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. 
In other words, for those who are pressing into persevering and pressing into enduring, Peter's like, I got a word for you. You're protected by the power of God. At the end of the day, you'll cross the finish line. You'll be welcomed into glory because you're a child of God. But at the same time, Peter's not going to let you be lazy. Turn one or two pages over to 2 Peter and look at chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, notice verse 4. For by these, in reference to the divine power and character of God in verse 3, for by these, His goodness, His, His faithfulness, His power, He has granted to us, His people, His precious and magnificent promises, so that by those, or by those promises, you may become partakers of that divine nature, that character of God, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, what he just said, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, what? Perseverance. You yourself do this. You yourself get after this. You're like, Pete, what? Dude, I read 1 Peter. He does that. And Peter would go, yeah, he does that. Now you do that. In other words, what he's called you to do, he empowers you to do, and he accomplishes in you. But you and I don't simply rest in his sovereignty. No, we, we understand responsibility and we run in the things that he is doing himself in order that we might endure, in order that we might persevere. I have no idea where to send you now, but I tell you, go back to Matthew 24. I actually do have to get to the text. That was my introduction. But I'll go quicker with these. There are three things working against you. And it should be an obvious conclusion. If this is what God's doing in my life, And if this is what I'm called to do in my life, then obviously what's the enemy doing? He's working specifically against those things in your life. Now, if I asked you this morning, take out a piece of paper and a pencil, I want to give you a test. What is the number one problem that you have that's causing resistance in regard to you persevering and you enduring? I bet you wouldn't get number one. I think you'd get number two. I think, I think number two would be your number one for the majority of you. But number one should cause us to be deeply concerned about how the enemy goes against maligning and, and, and pushing away, I guess, our persevering in the faith. And if you'll notice with me, let's see, you've already been to Matthew 24. Let me get there. Notice verse 11. Well, verse 10, at that time... Many will fall away, okay? They didn't make it. They'll betray one another. They'll hate one another. Verse 11, many false prophets will arise and mislead how many? Many. You see, so there is a great number according to the text. He uses the word many. That word can also be translated most, but I won't go off in that direction. But I will say many will be misled by false teaching and false preaching. That, I would submit to you, is your number one problem in persevering in the faith. The enemy is lying to you. 
Let me take you all the way back to the garden where Adam and Eve failed to be faithful and endure. Simply because the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. When God had just said, if you eat of it, you will die. This has always been the, his approach to killing our faith. To causing us not to endure and persevere by simply lying to us and getting us to believe things that are not true. And we fall for those things and what we don't understand is He's pulling us away from a faithfulness. He's drawing us away from a perseverance and He's pulling us away from an endurance in the faith by simply lying to you about how things truly are. Here's your passage that we'll get to in Jeremiah. Again, Old Testament false teaching has always affected the community of God. It was that way in day one. But in Jeremiah 14, this is what Jer Jeremiah records. Then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them nor commanded them nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, a divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. It was going on back then, and it's still going on today. In fact, entire books are devoted to the idea of false teaching. We've walked through Jude on a Wednesday night. We've looked at 2 Peter on a Wednesday night. Do you realize almost every single New Testament book, and the only reason I say every single is because I didn't go back through and make sure this week that one wasn't left out. Almost every single New Testament leader deals with the subject. And again, a couple of them are devoted to the subject. In fact, the Lord's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord says this in Matthew 7, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. In other words, the responsibility is on you. Now there is higher responsibility, but you have responsibility to recognize them. You will know them by who they are and the things that they do. And I think he uses the word fruit because he knows you're going to be confused by their words because they're good. They speak about things that your heart adores. They'll talk about you. They'll tell you of, of things that you deserve. They'll tell you about things that you already lust after and like and they'll say it in a way that God wants these things for you. In other words, you become the sinner, not Christ. And you and I both get lost in that. Because now you're singing that old song that my heart used to love before Christ. I know all the words. You know how those songs come on the radio. Hopefully you're ashamed of now, but you used to listen to. You still know all the words. And so when the enemy comes up to the pulpit and begins to sing that song so sweetly, you go, I know all the words to that song. And so the Lord goes, you'll know them by their fruits. Please pay attention to their character. Please pay attention to how they live their lives. Because I know you're going to get tricked at times and you'll be singing that song that they're singing. 
But if you'll pay attention to who they are as men, you'll begin to understand that these are not real men. Second time, book of Acts. One of the last things that the Apostle Paul says, well, in fact, the last thing he says on the beach, the church leaving Ephesus. He says in Acts 20, verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. In other words, he says, they'll grow up with you and among you. And the enemy will use them to lead you astray. It's a pretty frightening thought. This is without question the most significant danger facing the church today. Let me run through some of these quickly. They're going to get me in trouble enough as it is, so I won't expound too much on them locally. You do realize locally that some don't preach the gospel for the purpose of conversion. They don't hold to the idea that you have to actually hear the gospel, repent, and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are enemies of Christ. They are not the children of Christ. That is not the message of Christ. And yet we have so many churches that won't even preach the gospel. We have some that preach works that are necessary for conversion. Prosperity theology continues in Pentecostal congregations. The best life now continues to be a part of many churches in our area. It's about God blessing you financially and with your health and with your safety and with your security and will well-being, successful in every turn. That's their message. Denominationally, the SBC has been racked just in the last few years with social justice, the social gospel. So many churches jumped on the bandwagon and they don't even realize that the wheels have broken off the wagon because they're still there. Turns out Black Lives Matter turned out to be a corrupt thing, but they still hold up the sign. And I'm like, come on, pay attention to the fruit of what you're doing. That affected so many churches within our denomination. Easy believism, we talk about often, decisional regeneration. Please have a conversation with your kids about this. I do realize that people are converted when somebody shares the true gospel and they bow their head. I do realize that people have been converted in this such way. But you do understand the problems with that because I would submit to you that the majority have been confused and led astray by that. So have the conversation with your children about that because somebody will do that. Now God uses a whole lot of peculiar ways to bring people to faith. Tyler was telling me just this past week while he was at the house that the word for papaya... And the word for mark sound very similar. There's one little, if I remember Tyler right, there's one little L sound that if you don't get that tongue up to the roof of your mouth, it sounds like the same word. So there was a young man who wanted to find the papaya in the Bible. And they thought he said mark. And so they handed him a, co a, a copy of the Gospel of Mark. He, ran it from, he read it from beginning to end looking for a papaya in the Bible. He didn't find one, but he found Christ. And he turned from his sins and put his faith in the Lord Jesus. God uses peculiar ways. 
But I don't like that way. It's a very deceiving way. And so have your conversation with your kids about that because they will be led in that. Nationally and globally, we've been, the church has been deeply led astray. Cultural influences such as sexuality and all that garbage the church buys into because they want to be accepted by culture. Politically, we've been influenced and not just on the side of liberalism. There's been negative things that come out of conservatism that affect the church. There's big names that lead the church astray nationally and globally. And I won't get into that now. Perhaps I will when we go through Jeremiah. Names you recognize, names you know, faces you know, and you feel so comfortable to sit down and listen to them, and yet they lead you astray. And here's the deal. I found this to be true. If you say one negative thing, you get a barrage of people who come against you because you're a judge, you're a finger pointer, you're a slanderer, and the thing that you need to do is just love. You're wrong. How dare you say something against that guy? And while I was thinking about that, I was reminded of a couple of things that the Apostle Paul said. One of those is in Galatians 1 where he says this, but even if we, he includes himself, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you. Notice the message. It's not the message. He says he is to be accursed, cut off, damned, without any hope. As we said before, like a good preacher, he'll preach himself, he'll say it twice. As I've said before, so I say now again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, he, not his message, he is to be accursed. Paul wouldn't make it today, man. Because he's pointing fingers at particular people. You know what happened last Sunday? Probably happened in a lot of SBC churches. Not here. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm sure his name was mentioned in a positive light from a whole lot of pulpits last Sunday. But when you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, you remember the gospel that I preached to you? That Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says, let me, let me bring the gospel down to three points to you. Martin Luther King to my knowledge, and to his own writing, never held to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Didn't believe it happened. That's one of the bare-bone, foundational, fundamental truths of the gospel. And he didn't hold to it. I can't celebrate an enemy of Christ, nor the gospel. We can argue about things he did socially, but my only concern is what he did with the gospel and the truth of God's word. I could care less what color he is. That makes no difference to me. If a man is faithful with the word of God, there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to mention that faithfulness, even sometimes from the pulpit, because I marvel in me. I don't care where they come from or what language they speak. I only care about their faithfulness to Christ. And if you've got to mention a man because of his color, I would say you're already out of bounds. 
in the church. Because it matters not. It just matters what he does with the Lord Jesus, period. Philippians 3, Paul would say this, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. He called them dogs. And some people like to limit that to the context. Oh, he's talking about those that, that Jesus plus circumcision. Well, the principle still applies if you've messed with the gospel. Paul says, beware of the dogs. Don't you dare say anything that hateful about anybody today. They'll run you in the ground. But that's not the way with the prophets of God. Second enemy, these last two will go much quicker. The second enemy you would have gotten right. Look at verse 12. Notice, many will fall away, betray one another. Many false prophets will arise, mislead many. Verse 12, because lawlessness is increased. Rebellion. Sin. And if I'd ask you about that, what's going to hinder my perseverance? I think, number one, you would have put sin. You'd been close. It's number two. And again, in the context, we're not talking about the rebellion in the world or the godlessness in the world. Romans 1, he, Paul actually comes out and says that. Verse 28, he says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossipers, slanders, haters of God, Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. That's the way the world goes. But he's not talking about this. He's talking about those who profess faith in Christ. Because they want to be accepted by the culture, they look like the culture. When they look like the culture, they turn against God. I can take you back in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is going to talk a lot about sinfulness, but he's not talking about the world. He's talking about Jerusalem and Judah, the very heart of the people of God, their godlessness. So let me tell you, if you're not going to go out on the battlefield every day with sword drawn, willing to go to battle against your own sin, you're not going to endure. You're not going to persevere. You're not going to be found faithful. You have a battle to fight today and in the morning. And you've got to be deeply concerned about this. And there is a close link in this text between false preaching and lawlessness. Those two things can't be separated. In fact, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I believe it is, true preaching produces godliness. And if you want to know why I'm so careful and so long and we watch, walk through every single word, I'm doing that for the express purpose of producing godliness in my own life. And hopefully in yours. Because I study every word. I know what it's supposed to produce. I know it's fruit. And so I'm long and I'm painstaking and I'm careful with you because I want you to be godly. That's one way that you'll know that you will endure. And I also know what false teaching produces. It produces ungodliness. That's the whole idea. It leads you astray. So be careful with your own sin. But at the same point, be careful of what you listen to. Because many false teachers, they abound. Last thing, love grows cold. 
Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Again, I could talk about the world. I could take you back to Romans 1.28. He actually says they wind up unloving. That's where they're headed. But y'all, we just, I mean, we just walked through Romans 12 and we talked about love. That's not where we're headed. Our love's supposed to grow. And the concern is in the church. If I ask any one of you who's paying attention, what do you see you know, broadly of the church of God right now? Now, I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about those who profess faith in Christ. What do you see broadly there? Do you see love growing? Do you see unity growing? No, you don't. Why? Well, it's tied to false teaching. That's the first place that I would take you. But it's also tied to sinfulness because they're not doing battle with sin in their own life. But that false teaching and that lawless attitude that you have produces a love that grows cold. And it's not primarily, I don't think in the text, your love for your brother or sister sitting next to you. It's your love and your devotion to Christ. That's what's growing cold. Remember where he's going to go in Revelations 2, but I have this against you, he says to the church of Ephesus, that you have left your what? First love. You see, if the church is raptured in Matthew 24, I shouldn't even have been here this morning, it really doesn't matter. Those three things are found all over the book. And it's real problems that we have and it keeps us. These are the things that the enemy uses against you to keep you from enduring in the faith. Everywhere you turn, you're hearing things that are a lie. Everywhere you turn, you're being confronted with temptations and opportunities to be lawless. And everywhere we turn, our devotion and our love for Christ is being checked and challenged because we, we love and we're devoted to other things. Other things. As we walk into this next year, I, I have a word for you from Scripture. Turn to Hebrews 12 and I'll read it and we'll pray. I think this is one of the final words that the writer of Hebrews had for his people who were leaving in droves, you get the impression. They were undergoing persecution for their faith in Christ and they couldn't get out the back door fast enough. And so as he was speaking to those who had remained faithful, he gives them this word and I'll give you this same word this morning. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, so many faithful who have gone before us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising, thinking nothing of the shame that it brought. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary 
and lose heart. Let's pray.